Welcome to the latest FT Advisor podcast with me, Simini Kuriaku, editor of FT Advisor. On March 8th this year, FT Advisor, like many others, are acknowledging International Women's Day and examining issues that affect over half of the world's population. For readers of our news title, this means exploring the financial needs and aspirations of Britain's women, whether they're 50s women seeking guidance around their pension needs or young women looking to get on the savings ladder, older women considering how to pass money onto their families, and wealthy women who want to invest to the purpose and consider how philanthropy might work for them. Might even be relevant for people like me, who's in the squeezed middle with no money at all. So that's all very grand. But this particular podcast aims to consider the way that women perceive investment risk and reward, and whether the traditional language employed and methods used by advisors and wealth managers works for women, or whether there are some adaptations that perhaps need. Uh, so on this podcast, we're going to hear a short report by Elisheva Kissin, who's a graduate trainee with FT Advisor. She's going to give an overview of the dichotomy that has been created over recent decades, namely that women now are much more financially independent, uh, but far less financially resilient. We're also joined by some fantastic guests, Louis Williams, Head of Psychology and Behavioural Insights at Dynamic Planner, and Sarah Ruggins, Head of Multi-Asset Research from St. James's Place. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. Right. So to kick us off, I'm going to hand over to Elisheva, who's going to present her report. This International Women's Day, the wealth gap is under more scrutiny than ever. And no, that's not just the pay gap. It's the overall difference in net worth between men and women. The gender pay gap may be closing, but the wealth gap is more tricky. It's affected by women's greater student loans, higher borrowing rates, and perhaps most importantly, by financial advice that's less tailored to their needs. This is particularly significant because women invest differently. For starters, they are much more likely to be advised to save than to invest, and they seek investment knowledge from other people, while men often prefer to seek knowledge through the internet. According to Finance Buzz, 18% of women develop their knowledge around investing from their partners. Only 7% of men said the same. The number of women investing is rising, 67% of women in 2021 compared to 44% in 2018, according to Fidelity. That being said, only around a third of women really view themselves as investors, though this confidence generally increases with age. In fact, in Western Europe, women investors now control roughly a third of total assets under management, and this will only grow over the next few years, partly because of the rising number of married women taking responsibility for household financial decisions. By 2030, women's share of investments is expected to reach 45%, a total of 10 trillion euros. But what are some of the differences in investment styles between men and women? Well, women are more likely to have naturally diverse portfolios because a higher percentage of women than men invest in funds, spreading their capital across lots of different companies. Women tend to hold less risky investments too, and because of this are less likely to experience large losses. However, according to research from the Boston Consulting Group, female investors report being offered a limited set of investment options because advisors assume, sometimes incorrectly, that they have a low risk tolerance and that they're interested in sustainable funds. This last part is true to some degree. A UBS survey last year found that more women make investing decisions with sustainability considerations in mind compared to men. And 43% of female traders do set up stop-loss orders on over half of their trades, a risk management tool to limit their losses, compared to 35% of men. 
women are more likely to buy and hold, investing more for the long term and incurring fewer trading costs. This is because women tend to prioritise long-term security over short-term gains. A study of European investors conducted by German neobank N26 claims that only 23% of women prioritise short-term wealth gains. The same survey found that commission fees and attractive interest rates play a leading role for women. Men, on the other hand, overwhelmingly prioritise long-term yields. Women are 18% more willing to switch advisors, though. 40% say they would change their bank or advisor in the event of a relationship breakup, compared with 29% of men. In fact, 70% of widowed women investors change their advisors within one year of their partner's death. Portfolio allocation is also very different. Women's average portfolios are 32% equities and 32% fixed income investments, compared with 45 and 24% respectively for men. McKinsey estimates that this creates a gap of five to ten thousand euros between men and women's annual returns. But it is important to remember that a lot of these differences in investing approach may be due to the income bracket a person places in, not always their gender. Because of the constraints placed on most women's earning power, they often place in lower income brackets, where both male and female investing behaviour differs to those with higher salaries. So what do financial advisors need to do? They need to refocus on having investment and risk conversations with female clients that take into account their particular sets of priori priorities and proclivities, though without resorting to stereotypes. And to help close the gap in annual returns, wealth managers should tailor advice to give women more opportunities to weigh up the risks and returns of different investment strategies. But women are not a homogenous group, and different categories of people have different experiences, needing varying amounts of investment advice. All inequality is not created equal, as Kimberly Crenshaw famously said. Excellent. Thank you very much, Elisheva, for presenting that. And that leads us in very nicely to um, our conversations around the differences in uh, sort of behavioural approach uh, between men and women when it comes to investing. So, um, Louis, can I start with you? Could you outline or go into a bit more detail what are the differences between sort of men and women when it comes to understanding and appreciating investment risk and reward? Yeah, so in terms of um, clients or women's attitudes to risk, we tend to find that women, as you mentioned, are more risk averse in comparison to men. Um, but this isn't what the only factor that we should focus on when we're trying to understand if, if there are differences, because we find that actually, that depending on the age of the woman, their wealth, their background, this can all also diminish that relationship between simply being a female and being more risk averse. Um, and what you do find in a lot of research is that actually your experience, your investing experience, your financial literacy mediates this relationship. And so as much as we can see in research, there tends to, the stereotype tends to be um, uh, found often uh, over and over again that women are more risk averse. It's not really the, the factor that is it's influencing that relationship. And when you think about what your um, attitude to risk is really about, it's about your uh, emotions, it's about your thoughts, and um, it's about your behavior and your past experiences and how this all relates in terms to your willingness to take risk. And so there are many different factors to consider. Um, so yeah, and there is that divide, but it's important that we focus on other variables as well. Indeed. Sarah, so in your sort of day-to-day -day dealings with internal and external uh, stakeholders and clients, how do you find these sort of differences um, are played out. Do you, do you find that people have these various factors, particularly women, 
you know, it sounds very complicated. It is very complicated, and I think it's difficult to boil down to gender specifically, as some of the other speakers have already mentioned. But there's several trends we can look at that determine behavior um, that help us um, relate it, at least in some way, to gender. So women have wage gaps. We have wealth gaps. We have retirement needs gaps. Women live longer than men and need more money in later life, all of which contribute to these gender-based behaviors. Now, when we think about the differences between men and women when it comes to investment risk and reward, I think we can differentiate along a few lines. First, fewer women than men tend to invest. And when women do invest, it appears that they may indeed be more conservative. So in employer pension plans, for example, we see them holding higher proportions of cash and taking less risk than men. We've also seen some studies of gender-based differences um, in the pensions market, again, where men tend to place recurring deposits in vehicles such as mutual funds and other market instruments, whereas women tend to have higher rates of savings, but tend to, again, hold more cash and um, invest in fixed deposits. So over time, equities are, of course, the top performing asset class. Men tend to invest more in equities, so therefore they tend to outperform women over the longer term, thus deepening the investment gap that we see. Um, but it's important, again, as well to note that there are additional contributors to this gap. Um, as I've mentioned, so the wage gap, women earn less than men. The wealth gap, we tend to have less money, though this is closing. And then the retirement needs gap. Hmm. Indeed, I heard someone say that gender reveal parties um, should now have wallets given out to all the guests for a pound for men and 78 pence for, for, for uh, if it's a girl. Um, but, uh, I mean, jokes aside, there is a, a very serious need there. There is, there is a still a persistent pay gap, which leads to a pensions gap. Um, but that can't then be matched by investment performance if women do stick all of their money or a bulk of their money in cash or bonds or cash-like um, investments. So how do you, you then, I'm going to go to stick with Sarah and then go to, to Louis, how do we then have those kind of risk conversations with women so they understand that actually volatility can sometimes be your friend um, and you need to understand long-term gains when it comes to, to investing? Yeah, I think it comes down to um, building relationships all of this comes down to building relationships with your trusted advisor um, and, and with your partner so you can really talk about money and have these open and honest conversations. So your advisor, for example, can really begin to question where this risk aversion is coming from. Is this a palatable risk aversion that you should have because of situations in your life? Or is this something that's more psychological that perhaps through education um, it could change so you could improve your outcomes um, over the longer term with your investment strategy? So, and again, it all comes down to the relationship that you build with your investor um, that should be there for the long term. Now, what can advisors and planners do um, to, to really build these relationships? I think as was stated earlier, I mean, women tend to change their advisors, for example, after they've been widowed. So advisors, partners, they should be working to actively build one-to-one -one relationships with women, even if they come in to speak about their husband's plan or their partner's plans. Um, they should be really trying to understand the psychological motivations behind any restraints or conservatism um, that the women may be expressing um, in the conversations. Mm, excellent. Thank you. Um, Sarah, you mentioned there about uh, psychology and, and behaviors. I'm going to go back to Louis. Uh, Financial advisors are fantastic at having conversations with clients and getting them to open up. It's one of the amazing soft skills um, that both male and female advisors have. But when it comes to understanding 
the psychology of a client and creating a portfolio that kind of offsets those behavioral biases. How difficult is, is that? I mean, do we need to have a kind of a new language framework around this? Well, I, I think it's challenging because, as Sarah mentioned, the, the relationship between an advisor and a client, especially if they're women, can be very different. And research shows that actually when there's a couple, the, the male tends to be the focus and the advisor works on building that relationship with the male. And actually, there's been some interest in findings that when the attitude to risk questionnaire leads to a, a slightly different risk profile for the the two partners that actually when they compromise they tend to compromise around a profile more comfortable more more um, suitable for the male partner and so I think that the advisor needs to learn about encouraging the the woman if it's in a, in a partnership like that to um, have more conversations to build their relationship there and to actually educate women more about the uncertainty about um, in the investment journey, as you mentioned earlier. Um, in terms of, of uh, the questionnaire and understanding the kind of psychology of a, a woman versus a man, we do know that there are certain behavioral biases that men are more susceptible to versus women. So men tend to be more overconfident, um, more over-optimistic and, and have a greater illusion of control. So they feel that actually the the outcomes that they're observing are based more on their decisions and, and their actions, whereas women tend to have higher uh, levels of regret aversion so, and loss aversion. So actually, these are some of the emotional biases that they may fear making a, a, a suboptimal decision. And because of that, this leads to inertia and this leads to why women may be in general more risk averse because they don't actually want to make a decision. So when we look at the different questions and the different factors that make up our, our questionnaire, we can see these um, distinct differences between how men and women answer the questions. And so I think it's also useful that an advisor has a conversation about those particular questions on loss aversion, on regret aversion, on optimism. Um, and that helps them then to, to decide their, their risk profile. Louis, do questionnaires really go into depth um, to ask women what they want from their investments? And should this be something that advisors do more of, even when there's a couple sitting in front of them, to say, well, actually, let's talk about what you both want individually and together for your investments? Is that not yeah. something that happens? I mean, uh, yeah. So through our system, you, you would complete that attitude to risk questionnaire separately, and then the advisor can have the conversation together. And I, I, I believe it's important you do that also when you're thinking about your goals and your objectives and your sustainability preferences. So it's interesting to hear facts before because around sustainability because we also see this difference where um we we use a scale of importance and women uh, sustainability seems to be of greater importance for women um in terms of in their investments and again this relates to some of more of those psychological factors like the emotional benefit you feel that you're having a positive impact on society or or how you want your personal values to be reflected in the companies you're investing and we find this seems to be more important for women. So I definitely agree that having the the questionnaires completed separately and then having the conversation with the advisor, which isn't biased, so the advisor doesn't assume that the woman's going to be more risk averse and have greater preference for sustainability, but having that open conversation um, is ideal to really allowing the, 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 the portfolio to be suitable for both um, within the partnership. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah, SJP has done loads of work um, in recent years to 
kind of narrow that wealth gap and to reach out particularly to, to women and to encourage women to be more financially resilient and more financially knowledgeable. Um, do you find there are actual differences when your advisors sit face to face with, with, with a female client that she does think differently about what she wants, what her goals are, and therefore do conversations just need to be shaped better? What kind of best practice tips can you give us? In the past, what we've seen is that um, in our client-based equity, products have had far less appeal for women in general, keeping in mind that women are a very diverse cohort. Um, they, because the equities products are, are often just about bottom lines and, and, and capital growth. But what we're seeing as the industry pivots to sustainable investment products where ESG are more um, front and center of, of the conversation. Uh, we're seeing more women and, and more younger men and women uh, becoming more likely to invest and engage in those conversations. So as we raise the hygiene levels of what is acceptable for responsible investment, hopefully we'll begin to see those different groups as well um, come into the conversation more and more. And perhaps see some more financial uh, advisors and some more investment managers who are women as well, because we need everyone to think differently, don't we? Absolutely. So, uh, Sarah, just um, to, 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 to run through the last question. So, do you feel that women are taking more control of their investments? And if so, what more can the financial services industry do as a whole to encourage women to become more financially knowledgeable and financially resilient? Yeah, great question. Um, I absolutely do believe that women are are coming into their own when it when it comes to investments. So, um, something we're seeing that's really helping facilitate this is obviously um, technology. So, technology democratizes education and, and knowledge. So women love to uh, be on social media, on social platforms, and they love to share information. So mobile technology is actually helping more and more women um, educate themselves about investments. Um, and we're seeing the, the prop up of um, incredible, incredible amounts of female-friendly technologies out there when it comes to investing um, that's encouraging these conversations and sharing. So um, I think that's a great facilitator in the process. Excellent. Thank you. Louis, I could see you nodding there. Yeah, I was just um, thinking about financial resilience, actually, and in terms of how we need to help women and increase their financial resilience. Um, and often the problem is when we think about financial resilience, we focus too much on um, what resources uh, an individual may have or their knowledge and their experience and their literacy, financial literacy. But a lot of that resilience is based also on that support network that you have, which can be the, also the advisor relationship, as well as your as your emotional resilience. And I think that's something that um, when we think about uncertainty and investing, this is an area which we can really, advisors and the, um, us more generally can really help encourage women to, to manage the uncertainty. And so one of the questions we have in our attitude to risk question is whether you would prefer certainty, even if that means you would make less money. And we find a, a a significant percentage of women agree to that statement more so than men. And I think trying to educate and, and, and um, advise women and to not focus on things that is outside of their control 
focus on what they can control, set goals, um, celebrate their achievements, reflect on things that they've got through in the past. And, um, th these are ways in which we can build resilience and build self-efficacy and confidence um, to, to help women be in more control of their finances. And I, I think they are, as uh, Sarah mentioned, are becoming more and more uh, controlled, but we're still we seen around 36% of our clients who are profile risk profiled are women. So that, and that seems to have been quite consistent over the past four or five years. So there's still a, a way to go. And as you mentioned, there's only, I think 16% women who are ad advisors. And so again, increasing that number could also mm. demonstrate it, it help with the, the, the relationship that we're trying to um, improve between an advisor and a, and a client as well. I agree with that, Louis. I think this is really important. So we people uh, gravitate towards those that are like them, right? And so women tend to want to work with other women. Um, so as we can get more um, young women um, into, you know, the advisory industry, that will only benefit the participation of this gender um, in the markets. And I think as well, when you look at the institutional investing gap, um, funds, ETFs, they're predominantly run by men. Um, I'm looking at US data right now for Morningstar, but l looking at that, less than 10% of money managers are women. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so there's there's a significant lack of uh, leadership and there's a significant lack of representation, I think, in the industry at all levels, from advisory services all the way through to institutional investing. And I think as we can encourage more young women to get into the field, let them know that they belong here, they can be successful here. Hopefully they will bring other women on this journey as well. Excellent. Those are really positive messages, uh, Sarah and Louis, um, to think about how technology can democratise investment, how advisors can have more uh, creative conversations with both their male and female clients and understand people's risk and reward and investment goals and investment ambitions. But as Louis said, it's also good to celebrate, to help clients uh, and women clients celebrate their achievements and to understand best goal settings to help them achieve those ambitions. Um, but uh, we've actually achieved uh, the wonderful uh, ambition or the wonderful goal of being kicked out of the studio. So I'm going to have to say, Louis and Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elisheva, for taking part. Oh, thank you. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.